chapter 6, starting at verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Well, thank you, Rebecca, and thank you, Rob. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Madush, if you've not met. Uh, let me add my welcome to Jeremy's. Um, <clears throat> please do keep that uh, Bible passage open in front of you if you don't already have it there, page 1147, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, and, and let me remind you, like I did last week, that um, uh, there is some challenging teaching in these chapters of 1 Corinthians. Uh, you will no doubt have some questions. There will be nuances to make that um, uh, won't happen um, from, from the front as we preach it. And so if there are questions that you have, please do just make a note of those. We will have a question time next week. Um, and then just another reminder that uh, in three weeks' time, the 3rd of December, we will be having a teaching day on 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's more information about that on the back of your service sheets. Uh, but do flag that and do make notes of, of questions. Uh, feel free to come and talk to me uh, and certainly talk with each other as we um, wrestle with what we're being taught. Let me pray for us as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your life-giving words. We pray that right now you would show us Christ and that you would renew us by your Spirit so that we live as those who have been justified, those who have been declared righteous through Jesus' sin-bearing death at the cross. Where there are broken relationships among us, please will you bring restoration. Help us to respond to each other with the same grace that you have shown us. Amen. Well, I don't know who's a fan here of The Lion King, but you might remember that scene where Simba gets caught in a stampede. Have a watch. That's a heart-wrenching moment, isn't it? You know it's been planned. Scar is waiting as Mufasa climbs out of that ravine. His own brother. He's been waiting, looking for that opportunity to get rid of Mufasa. But until that moment, you just don't know how far he's prepared to go. 
that moment of, of betrayal is really heart-wrenching. Now, if you can relate to that, I want you to hang on to that feeling of hurt, of betrayal. That is what God is going to work on in our hearts today. You see, it's, it's one thing when an attack comes from an enemy, but when it's someone you trust, someone from your own family, when the sin is from them, it, it really cuts deep. And when you're in that place of hurt, the idea of bearing the cost of forgiveness is almost unbearable. We cry out for justice in that situation. We want to demand that we be treated fairly. We've been wronged, and we want it to be set right. Well, the Corinthian Christians were no different. When one of them was sinned against by another, they stood on their rights. They were even prepared to go to court to get what they thought they deserved. Now remember, this was a church that had lost sight of the foolish-looking gospel of Christ crucified. Instead, they chased after what the world thought was impressive. And so we saw in chapter 5 how a casual attitude to sin had already infected them. We heard that stern warning to wake up to the danger of spiritual pride and to help each other turn away from sin. In chapter 5, they were to judge sin in the church. Here, they are to judge between each other when disagreements arise. There is a, a specific instruction. Christians must not sue other Christians. But the much more basic issue is how we deal with sin among us. What do we do when you've hurt me, when I've hurt you? And so our first point from verses 1 to 6 is don't let the world judge you because you will judge the world. Now here's the thing. When we live in relationship with each other, we will sin against each other. Last week we talked about how Christians are made new, but we still sin. God gives us his Holy Spirit who now lives in us. The Holy Spirit exposes sin in our lives. He renews us on the inside so that we can turn away from it. But that is a lifelong process. Sin is very much a part of our lives with each other. The question for us, the challenge for us is, what do we do when I sin against you, when you sin against me? Well, the Corinthians took each other to court. That's how they dealt with it. That's how everyone else in their city dealt with it. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, bottom right of that page open in front of you. If any of you has a dispute with another do you dare take it before the ungodly or the unrighteous for judgment? Imagine it. Imagine those of us who are in service professions or in trades. Imagine that we help each other as you would expect in, in a family. The, the mechanic at church gives your car a service, but he misses that the cam belt needed replacing. Two days later, boom. 
it goes, and major repairs are needed. The medical professional at church gives you advice, helpful advice, but you later discover that there is an underlying condition that needed specialist attention. The homeowner at church rents you accommodation, but they're not very good at getting the maintenance done. What do you do in that situation? What's your response going to be? See, it's not unusual for people around us uh, to say, well, I think I'll get some legal advice and consider my options. Now, you may not go that far, but you've been wronged. And you feel that that wrong needs redressing. How far will you go to get what you're owed? You know, what this is talking about is it's a surveyor who missed the dry rot, or the plumber who flooded the basement, or the accountant who made an error with your tax return. The, the issues here are on that scale. This is not talking about crimes. Now, take a look at the end of verse 2. Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? This is small claims court territory. These are grievances, trade disputes. They are not crimes. You see, when, when crimes are involved, the church is not to deal with it in-house. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Christians are very clearly called to submit to the civil authorities, authorities that God has instituted to maintain order and execute justice. God has lovingly given us these structures to protect us, to uphold what is good. And so where there is a crime, where the issue is serious, we get the civil authorities involved straight away. Where that's not happening, it's dangerous. And churches need to be called to account. But where there is a grievance between Christians, a disagreement, a dispute, we deal with it very differently. So verse 2, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Remember last week we talked about how not to judge? We don't judge out of pride in a self-serving way. But we are called to judge sin. We are called to judge each other in humility, motivated by love, in a gospel-centered way, looking for real inner transformation so that we help each other live wisely. And so judging here is that same sort of judging. It's, it's to rule wisely, to, to govern well, to make good, uncorrupted decisions. That's what we're talking about. Verse 3 carries that on. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Now you might remember that phrase, don't you know? It's come up in verse 2, again in verse 3. It comes up a third time in verse 9. And every time Paul uses it, it is to humble the Corinthians because they prided themselves on their knowledge. And yet they had completely forgotten who God had made them. 
They had forgotten their new status as those who now belonged to God's family. You see, at the end of this age, when Jesus returns, those of us who are trusting in Jesus will be judges. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? We will be rulers with Jesus, sharing in his dominion. That's quite a thought. But if that is true, then why on earth would you go running to those who themselves will face judgment on that day to settle your disputes? It's madness, isn't it? It's sort of like uh, Supreme Court justices, if you can picture them, having a disagreement among themselves. And they just can't resolve it. And so, so they decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get some of our most recent convicts. And we're going to ask them to settle this for us. Could you picture it? Well, no, it's absurd. That is what we do as Christians if we go to civil courts. That's what's going on. Uh, so the principle in these verses is really simple. When there is a dispute between believers, when something has gone wrong, find a wise Christian and let them help you resolve it. Don't go to the courts. How do you feel about that? Are you concerned about what might happen if you did? Do you think that the courts will treat you better than a Christian brother or sister? See, in the best cases, the courts will deliver a verdict. You will get a legal resolution that you are, that you are compelled to abide by. But you know what you won't get? You won't get a restored relationship. Instead, you will have a wedge that permanently sits between you and that other person. And so here's a newsflash, if you haven't got this already. God's priority is not your rights. God is just not that concerned about your rights. He is far more concerned about making you more like Jesus and making your brothers and sisters more like Jesus. In God's wisdom, he uses sin. He uses conflict among us to bring that about. Isn't that amazing? You see, the, the call here is for us to judge each other in a way that helps us see each other's sin so that independence on God by the gospel of Christ crucified, God's Spirit is at work in us and among us to renew us so that we are changing how we think and what we want in that situation. And that is amazing, if you ask me, that God can bring goodness and beauty out of wreckage. Don't go to the courts. God wants something better for you. God wants us to become people who care less about our rights and more about each other. Well, that's the specifics. Don't sue each other. 
But that prepares us to grasp the more basic principle. That we respond to being sinned against by another Christian with grace. We respond to sin with undeserved kindness. And that's our second point. Be willing to be wronged because Jesus has justified you. Now let's pick it up there in verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. The Corinthians think they are spiritually mature. But by acting in this way, they are showing themselves to be no different from anyone else in Corinth. In fact, what they're doing is undermining the message of the cross. Because there is no grace. And in that sense, they have already been defeated. You see, if they truly understood the message of the cross, if they got it, they would have preferred to be wronged. They would have preferred to be cheated instead of holding so tightly onto their rights and then scrapping it out in public. This is where they needed to be challenged. It's where we need to be challenged. They had become just like the world. And there's a detail in the text that, that really brings this out. The use of the word unrighteous and the contrast with righteousness. So take a look with me. In verse 1, they take cases before the unrighteous to make a decision for them. Here in verse 7, that question, why not rather be wronged, is literally, why not rather be treated unrighteously or unjustly? And in verse 8, instead you do wrong is instead you act unrighteously. Do you see what's going on? They're going to non-Christians to find resolution, and yet they themselves have become like the world. They are acting just as unrighteously as the people around them. And so here's the warning in verse 9, just over the page. Wrongdoers, that is the unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Have you stopped to consider that? The world says sin is no big deal. But this is a warning. Don't be deceived. Don't think that sin doesn't matter. This is a life and death issue. It's not like you've got a free pass now, and it doesn't really matter what you do. Sin is, a little bit of sin is okay. It's not a big deal. Now remember what Christ has done. Christ came from heaven to earth. He went to the cross to bear the judgment for your sin. Are you going to continue to live in sin as if Christ died for nothing? The fact that he came, the fact that he went to the cross should show you how serious this is. Now, Christians do sin, but we battle against sin in the power of the resurrected Jesus by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And that's why we have this reminder in verse 10 and 11. In verse 11, you were justified. In other words, you were declared righteous. Look what God has done with you. You were controlled by sin. It had power over you. You had no freedom to turn from it. No freedom to please God. But something decisive has changed. You were washed, cleansed of your past sin, cleansed of the sin committed against you. And so now you are pure, spotless. When God looks at you, he sees someone who is pleasing in his sight. And you were sanctified. You were made holy, set apart to belong to God. You are His. And you were also justified. Now this is courtroom language. This is the only verdict that matters, that the Corinthians should have cared about. Christ the judge has made a declaration. You are righteous. There is no charge against you. There is nothing to be held to account for. If he holds me innocent, there is no wrong against me. When I have committed capital crimes against him, do you see how out of step it is for me to bear a grudge against you, to hold a grievance against you? Do you see how that exposes me? Do you see how it shows that I really haven't understood the cross at all? Because I don't realize what I have in Christ. I don't realize how He has treated me. That's how I break with the past. That's how I start to live differently. I fix my eyes on the cross. I realize my crimes against the living God, and I realize how He has treated me. I start to see God's wisdom and power. I see the inheritance I have because now I belong to His family. I realize that He has made me pure, that He has set me apart for Him, that He looks at me and calls me righteous. And that means that I can set aside my freedom. It means that I can set aside my rights. That I can bear the cost of serving God and serving other people. If you are sitting here today and you are trusting in Jesus for your righteousness, then we are God's family. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus. What you do affects me. What I do affects you. We're we're part of the same family. Our our lives are interconnected. We can't get away from that. Now, sin does matter, and we must take it seriously. We must help each other to turn from it. But when we are sinned against, we should be prepared to bear the cost of that wrong. Let me tell you some stories to um, drive this home. Many years ago, when I was learning to drive, 
my dad, who is not known for his patience, was actually fairly patient with me. Uh, one day I was bringing the car into the garage, and, and we had this really steep uh, driveway that went down and into the garage. Now, I don't know what happened. It's like I, I still plead a measure of ignorance in this. But instead of pressing the brake, I just put the clutch down. And so I went faster and faster down the slope and slammed into that garage. My dad had to jump out of the way. Uh, and there I was with a car and a wall. Now, now the wall actually did okay, but the car not so much. Now what should my dad have done? Scolded me? Wagged his finger in my face? I told you so? Shamed me? Taken me to court and sued me for damages? He wouldn't have got anything. But he didn't do any of those things. He helped me. He was gentle. He didn't have the extra money lying around uh, to sweep the problem away, but he bore the whole cost of my mess up anyway. That's what family does. Now, some years ago, there were three brothers at our church uh, who we welcomed into our home. Twins, and their brother a year older. They may, have been, they may as well have been uh, triplets. Uh, they were that close and managed to <laughs> encourage each other the way triplets do. Now, there were no parents in the picture. They had been raised by their elder sister since they were kids. Uh, she had been part of our church for a number of years. We knew her. She loved the Lord. Now, I'd been reading the Bible with the eldest brother for a few months, and he had recently committed to following Jesus. Somehow their circumstances changed and they had nowhere to live. Their sister couldn't help them. And so it was a no-brainer to us. We happily welcomed them home. Not because we had lots of money or space, but because we loved them. And we were just making ends meet. With the guys moving in, our grocery budget more than doubled. But with the help of other people, we somehow made it work. Another car story. Uh, one day I came home from work, and I'd left the car safely locked in the garage. I didn't give anyone permission to do anything with it, and there were no licenses to drive. But I got home, and I found that the car was outside the garage. I thought that was odd. So I went up to it, and I took a quick, closer look, and then I realized that, okay, the, the front bumper is damaged. And then I looked behind me, and I realized that the garage door was bent out of shape. Now, I was tired after a long day. I was probably irritable. I didn't know what had happened. I wonder how you'd have reacted after that. It, it turns out that the twins had hatched a harebrained scheme to do something nice, but neither of them could drive, and it all went pear-shaped. I, I just don't know the, the thought process. <laughs> I, I was somewhere between kind of frustrated, angry, feeling like trust had been betrayed, like generosity had perhaps been abused. What should I have done? Should I have been harsh with them? Disapproving? Somehow get them to bear the cost of the mess? No, that's not how family works. That's not how grace works. There was a cost involved. 
Uh, we, we didn't have money for it. It was difficult to cover it, but we joyfully bore it because we loved them. And it is that kind of grace that changes people. Because it's that kind of grace that shows people what Christ has done for us at the cross. I think I've got time for one more story. Uh, that was a year full of adventures, <clears throat> one after the other. Uh, this was sometime after that. One of the twins had a substance abuse problem. Um, his two brothers were, were Christians, and they loved him relentlessly through it. Um, but he would uh, somehow try to kind of sneak out of the house um, in the late evenings uh, to go off and have a smoke. And we didn't live in a particularly safe neighborhood. So this evening, um, he'd gone out. Uh, there was a shop just around the corner, and he'd gone there to buy some cigarettes. But in the process, uh, he was um, mugged at gunpoint. They took all of his money. They took the keys to the house. And so he came back, and we heard him calling at the gate uh, because he couldn't get in. And so there he was in front of us, pretty shaken up, and we were trying to look after him, help him process what had happened. But you know what I'm thinking in the back of my mind? Faye, Faye's the empath, and she, she was really looking after him. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, okay, so they're armed robbers just around the corner. They've got the keys to our house. They know where we live. They could be here any minute. And so I was uh, caught between feeling angry and frustrated at the series of bad decisions that had led to this, feeling compassion for him, because we really did love him, and feeling the responsibility for everyone else's safety. I wonder what you would have done. How would you have reacted? What if it was a scenario where someone had maliciously acted against you and, and, and tried to get one over you? How would you have responded? You see, there is always a cost involved to love each other. And it is only as we get the gospel of Christ crucified and realize that we are, we are relating to each other as the justified sons and daughters of an eternal God. It is only as those truths are impressed upon us that we will actually treat each other as family. Who has wronged you in the church family? What are the grudges that you're holding on to? against your brothers and sisters. You may not be taking them to court, but what would it look like for you to respond to them with undeserved kindness? So we won't do this, we won't live like this, unless we allow each other into the mess of our lives, because our eyes are fixed on the cross of Christ. These things work together. Jesus calls us and then he empowers us to help each other fight sin. He also calls us to help each other make true judgments 
When in the red mist of conflict, we are unable to see clearly. Please, will you pray that with me? Father, we realize that we fall far short of treating each other the way you have treated us. Will you help us to know your forgiveness, to know the riches of mercy and kindness that we have been shown in Jesus, and so to live radically different lives from the world, valuing the cross above the wisdom and power of this world. Amen.